You're listening to God and Comics, the podcast that leaves newsprint on your ears. Speaking of your ears, on today's episode, music. We talk about how music affects comics, how it's been portrayed in comics, and what, if anything, these two different forms of art have to say to each other. Sound good? Well, then you'd better take notes, because this show beats all the rest. Just ask the members of our staff. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am chaplain at St. John the 23rd High School in Katy, Texas. I'm also a priest at Our Lady of Walsingham Cathedral in Houston, Texas. On the line with me is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm the rector at Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I am the rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York. Very good. Good to see you guys after a summer hiatus. You know, our hiatus keeps moving. This year, I think it started in August and has run into October. So I don't know if we can still call it a summer hiatus, but... But it's good to see you guys. Um, you know, I've, I've added a, a second gig to my, my roster there. Um, I noticed that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm one of the, the priests uh, at uh, Our Lady of Walsingham uh, Catholic Cathedral, which is the Cathedral of the Ordinariate, uh, which is the uh, diocese-like entity <laughs> within <laughs> which I serve as a, as a priest. So that's why I was mentioning before the show started uh, uh, that I don't remember what a day off looks like. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It's a great place, uh, great place to be and uh, great to be doing the show again. I got to tell you, I-, I don't know about you guys, but I'm hearing from people all the time now, um, not just like, you know, emails or whatever about God and comics, but just when I'm out and about, you know, I'll, I'll fill in and I'll, I'll celebrate mass somewhere and people will come up to me afterwards and say, Hey, don't you do God and comics? Um, wow. and I had that experience, uh, at least once this past summer where a kid who couldn't have been more than 10, uh, came up and said that. And I have to, I have to admit to you guys that freaked me out a little bit, because <laughs> I don't know that we always pitch the show at the uh, uh, ten and under crowd. But uh, nevertheless, always happy to to have um, some feedback from listeners. I would like to personally apologize. <laughs> adult-oriented recommendations <laughs> that I feel now extremely guilty about. Yeah, just the, the kid, just don't go too far back in the archives. That You'll be fine. Yeah, you'll go. be fine. I would say at this moment, we are at exactly the level of famous I can handle. <laughs> Which is to say, right. not very famous at all. But, yeah. uh, you know, just, just enough. Every once in a while, somebody says something nice. Um, or weird, and yeah. I'm, I'm okay with both of those. That's so. what my daughter said to me, that, you know, Dad, you're about this famous, about less than an inch. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm about less than an inch famous uh, <laughs> from God and Comics. Okay, well, it's it's good to have that support from your family. That's really, yes. it's really good. <laughs> 
So uh, I'm going to do our recommendation this time out. In our illustrious history at God and Comics, we have recommended all kinds of things. We have, in terms of comics, we've recommended volumes of graphic novels. We have recommended individual issues. We have recommended uh, runs on things. We even had a, a guest once who uh, subverted the paradigm and recommended a game. I don't know, though, if anyone has ever recommended three uh, books together at the same time. That's what I want to do today because I'm so taken by these things. And what I'm recommending is the new run of Superman and Action Comics uh, by Brian Michael Bendis. And so what we got is three volumes that I want to recommend to you. The first one is called The Man of Steel. And I'm not really sure how they packaged this when it came out because, you know, I haven't been buying single-issue comics in a while. I'd really kind of gotten out of that because I couldn't afford it anymore. And um, I thought, well, I'll be fine just kind of reading um, individual trades, uh, going to the library and stuff like that. And what I found is that it actually is a lot harder than I would have thought. And, and it's made me gravitate away from uh, superhero comics into other things where it's easier to sort of keep track of because the stories just move so very fast. Um, but I really wanted to read uh, what, what Brian Michael Bendis was doing with Superman because I love Superman I've always loved Superman, and Brian Michael Bendis is one of the few people I can think of who deserves the hype around him, right? Uh -huh. I mean, he is just, he has made a career being an amazing comic book writer, uh, developing characters, creating characters like Jessica Jones, creating the Powers series, uh, writing. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, creating Miles Morales, all sorts of incredible stuff that he did while he was at Marvel, and now he's at DC, and they, they, they give him the flagship, right? They put him in charge of writing Superman, and not just the Superman book, but also Action Comics, um, which I think was a really uh, good decision. Um, and so this first volume, The Man of Steel, you guys may know better than I do. I'm not sure how they marketed this when it was single issue because it's it's it clearly not. It was a six-issue series. They just kind of did it as a mini It was series. weekly. Six weekly issue for si weekly. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but it, So it basically introduces this very interesting multi-layered story that Bendis is then going to carry through into both Superman and Action Comics in different ways. And so in, in The Man of Steel, you get kind of the beginnings of this story that are interwoven, and then he sort of pulls, pulls the weaving apart a little bit so that he can tell each one in a, in a different way, one in the Superman series and one in the Action Comics series. It's just great. Um, you know, I, I had had read a lot of the Superman in the New 52. Um, I, I was not as negative about that Superman as some people were. It sort of depended on who was writing him. There was a while there where Gene Luen Yang was writing, which I thought was really great. And uh, But I, I kind of lost the thread a little bit after the DC uh, reboot. 
where I think it was was it Tomasi who was who was writing? Yes, and uh, Dan Jurgens. Okay, um, but you know, it was the sort of um, storyline that had a lot to do with his family, and I just kind of lost track of it. Um, mostly for the same reasons I mentioned before, that because I'd gotten out of the individual issues, I just kind of lost track of it. There's something about Superman that even when those stories of the last uh, six, eight years were good, they just didn't quite capture some really important pieces at the center of him. And I think the symbolic representation uh, of what was missing from Superman over these last few years. What was actually missing was much more, much more abstract, much more having to do with his personality. But the the sort of physical symbol of this is the 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 red uh, tights, the underwear on the outside, right? And they had turned that into a belt. You know, yes. and people complained about this. And I actually thought at the time, it's like, ah, no, it makes sense. I understand, you know, and the red, the red underwear doesn't quite look right in a modern context and all this stuff. Like I got the arguments for why they redesigned it. But still, there is just something that was lost in this iconic nature of this character when they changed his outfit. And it wasn't just because of the outfit. It was like they kind of retrofitted him. And even when they kind of did this sort of sleight of hand where it was like we're going to kill off the new 52 Superman and bring the old Superman back somehow from his universe and all this kind of stuff. So they, they were trying to tap into what they had lost, but they couldn't quite get there. There's been this kind of darkness around Superman, this kind of loss of direction, I would say. Maybe not even darkness. I mean, the darkness comes out much more in the movies, I think, these days than it did in the comics, but this this kind of loss of the center of who this character is. Bendis has brought back the red underwear. Okay, And when I say that, I don't mean he's just brought back the red underwear. He's brought back the heart of this character, I feel like. He's brought back the fun. This character is fun. Superman is fun again, right? Um, And and he's good again, right? Um, You know what I what I think Bendis really gets is um, there used to be like the stereotype of Superman was that he's the big blue boy scout. Um, and people didn't like that because it was just too saccharine and too sweet and not not the kind of like dark brooding anti-hero that we like these days. And so people would sort of make fun of that. But I don't think that's really who Superman ever really was. I mean, he had moments when he was that, I suppose. But but I don't think that's really it. What who Superman really is, is the honest broker. He is the guy who struggles, struggles, but always manages to find the center of the moral compass, even though he's working really hard to get there, even though it takes a lot for him to do it, even though he's got to sacrifice his own powers in many ways, like pulling himself back over and over again to do it. And yet he's oriented towards good in this fundamental way. Bendis gets that. And so you you have a lot of these fun scenes where like, you know, he'll be in the middle of talking to somebody and then he'll say, excuse me for a second. And then you'll get a panel where he's gone off to like fight somebody 
<laughs> in a completely unrelated fight that has nothing to do with the story. And then he like shows back up. Okay, I'm sorry. Where were we in the conversation? Right? Because he's 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 just he wants to be out there doing good. But he's also, you know, he's got a sense of humor. And you can see where that moral compass comes from. There's one scene in, I think it's in the the second of these books that I want to recommend, the Superman Volume 1, the Unity Saga Phantom Earth, because why should comics ever have a name that you can actually remember? And uh, But there's this great scene where he's, he, he's almost at the point where he's going to lose it, and he's going to just like... Uh, he's been caught in the phantom zone and he, he wants to just blow the place up basically. And then for half a second, he remembers his parents. He remembers Jonathan and Martha Kent and he has this vision of his father and he says out loud, sorry, pa. Like he remembers where his moral center came from. And it's not just like a moral center that he just happens to have within him. It's something that was instilled in him by his parents and especially by his adopted father. Uh, what happens in the, in these three stories? Well, I won't go into great detail about that. Um, you'll have to kind of read them to see. Uh, but basically, you've got um, this character who I, I don't actually know how to pronounce this because uh, I haven't heard anybody say it out loud. Rogel Czar, I think? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who... Um, who and uh, I guess this is a little bit spoilery, but not too bad. I mean, it's revealed pretty early on that he he hates Kryptonians and that he may in fact have been the one who destroyed Krypton in the first place. Um, and he comes to basically destroy the rest of anybody who's Kryptonian who still exists in the universe. And uh, so you have that storyline going. Um, and at the same time, you've got a storyline that has to do with mysterious fires that are being set in Metropolis and a whole underworld of characters who have been operating in secret uh, right under Superman's nose, um, and it, mainly by coming up with this interesting coded way of talking so that they never realize he's talking about them. Um, you have a mystery that has to do with where uh, Lois Lane and, and their son Jonathan have gone. Um, and so uh, that's something that slowly uh, gets revealed, especially in that first uh, book, Man of Steel. You have these really touching scenes, um, like these touching scenes with Superman and Supergirl uh, over the destructiveness of Rogelzar and and uh, and what he's done. And it's just, it's beautifully rendered. The only complaint that I would have about these books at all is that the art is pretty uneven. Um, and that's because there's like a hundred million different artists. They, 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 they're just cycling through all these people. And so it's, it's hard to like, you know, I have to, every, every couple of pages, I have to stop and go, okay, wait, which character is this again? Right. Because they're they're just drawn very differently from issue to issue. Um, but nevertheless, I highly recommend these three volumes, great jumping in point. And I got them all together off of Amazon and a package deal. And they were, they were very cheap that way. So man of the man of steel is the one to start with. And then uh, Superman Volume 1, The Unity Saga, Phantom Earth. And then the the third one is Superman Action Comics Volume 1, Invisible Mafia. Go ahead and uh, pick those up wherever comics are sold. 
Yeah, those are some great books. I've been regularly collecting <laughs> yeah. all those things, and, and Bendis keeps the storyline moving along really good, um, even up till the present day. A, uh, a kind of fun fact about Rogelzar is that um, Bendis apparently went through some sort of health scare towards the end of his time when he was with Marvel, and um, his doctor is uh, is the character that he actually, or the person that he actually based the character of Rogel Star on. <laughs> what, what kind of torturous psychopath is his doctor? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. And the Man of Steel kind of relates to the Superman book much more strongly. Um, but my favorite might be the action comic series. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, at first I was like, what is going on? He's going to write both? Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, this is weird. Like, why not have two different? But they're very different, you know? And, yeah. and the action comics is more of like, what I compare it to is is back in the day when you had the amazing Spider-Man and then you had the spectacular Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Spectacular Spider-Man was like the Daily Bugle. And right. action comics is the Daily Planet, and it's much more street level and kind of like kind of focused on uh, Superman's supporting cast more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, the you know the human supporting cast of the book, I, the, all three of them, of course, are excellent, not to be missed. But uh, action comics is at the top of my pile every. Yeah, and uh, and also um, I think uh, Action Comics uh, of the three of them uh, emphasizes the most um, the way in which Bendis really gets Clark Kent as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's darker, but mm-hmm. not because Superman's darker, right? You know, he lets Superman right. be the light, and but then there's a gritty underworld, and there's like you know the world around him, but Superman's. You know the 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 light. That's the way it should be. I mean, you could you could tell weighty kind of gritty stories with Superman, but you know he's always Superman. He's got the red undies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're gonna move on now into our main conversation and talk a little bit about music in comics. Um, and this is an interesting thing to try to tackle uh, because at first blush you'd, you'd sort of say, well, there are no, there is no music in comics, right? Like, mu- <laughs> it's like uh, talking about music in novels or something like that, right? Like, um, comic books uh, don't have soundtracks. At the same time, music is a phenomenon uh, that we encounter in our lives and comics tell stories that relate to our lives. And so music ends up coming out in comic books in a lot of interesting ways. Some of those involve, uh, comics that are actually exploring particular music or musical themes. And some of it is comics that are, are, are trying to depict the effect that music has on people. So I wonder um, if Father Matt, you want to start us off. Well, I, when you know, when I started thinking about the topic, um, there were actually two books that that came immediately to mind that I had read years ago and had to kind of dig back into. The first one was uh, was Red Rocket Seven, which was a project. It might have been like the '90s that it came out. Um, it was a, a Mike Allred book. I think it might have been Dark Horse that published it. And this, this was extremely memorable. I mean, not only because Mike Allred's artwork is always just 
phenomenal. But um, if published in like a large format, looks like an album. There's even one of the covers is even an homage to uh, the Sgt. Pepper album cover. That's just an unforgettable illustration. It is, it's a science fiction, how to describe it? It's science fiction, but it's also like um, Forrest Gump. You know, it's about <laughs> it's it's about this um, this space alien that is a little bit Ziggy Stardust, you know, and and um, he is from a planet called Celest a Celestion, or I think it's called this because sort of sounds like celestial, and it's got it's got a whole it's got the science fiction um, Hanna Barbera cartoon vibe the pop culture vibe, the Forrest Gump vibe, and like a, a weird Mormon vibe too. <laughs> um, it, it's so out there. Is but Allred so a Mormon? This, oh, Allred is, Allred is definitely a Mormon. And, and this, uh, this is, uh, this, this book is embedded with, with his uh, Mormon theology. He's, he's a different kind of Mormon. Um, but, uh, Interesting. but this, this space alien, um, is cl- he, there's like this war between these two civilizations and um, one is they're the in, in infinities and they've discovered a scientific way to prolong life endlessly the the scientific immortality but the celestians they have these scriptures that that teach them the way to immortality through spirituality, and, and and they reject this artificial immortality in favor of of you know the kind of immortality that comes from God, and so the the um, the main character is is on the run from these eternities, and his robot partner clones him using eternities technology, you know against his wishes seven times, and so you have these seven clones. And the number seven clone is our hero. And each clone is like an expert in something like science, the arts. And number seven is a musician. And he walks through the history of rock and roll from like the 50s. You know, he catches a ride with, uh, with Little Richard in the back of a, of a pickup truck. He teaches Elvis how to dance. He hangs out with the Beatles. He influences David Bowie. The whole time there's this uh, uh, science fiction drama going on. He's being pursued by these, these, these aliens. But the great thing about the book is the way Allred weaves in the history of rock and roll. And it's, it's obviously a love story to this genre of music. His, his illustrate the way he illustrates all the different icons like Elvis and Little Richard and Bob Dylan and the Beatles and the Who and the Rolling Stones, David Bowie, the Dandy Warhols, Nirvana. I mean, it's full of these great drawings that are uh, depicting rock and roll characters and, and, and they're part of the story. Red Rocket 7 is, is the secret influence behind the history of rock and roll. The story, uh, it's been out for decades, so I'm not going to worry. This is a spoiler alert, but it ends with him striking this secret chord that ushers in uh, the resurrection of the dead and the return 
of Christ, who it was never mentioned explicitly, but you see his his sort of silhouette appearing in the sky. And the last scene is just a renewed heavens and the earth and the and the, and, and, and the new Jerusalem. And you have like every one of the rock and roll pantheon like hanging out and playing music together, you know, and then <laughs> it just comes to this wonderful, you know, spiritual cosmic happy ending. I forgot what a delight this book was. And it, 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 it just, you have both an enthusiasm for the medium of comic books and of rock and roll. So it, it, if you like comics and you like rock and roll, <laughs> and you like God, <laughs> Red Rocket, Red Rocket Seven is, is definitely a book you, you should check out. You know, um, you know I, I heard uh, that there was a secret chord that yes. David played, and it pleased the Lord. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you don't really care for music, do you? I I certainly do. <laughs> yeah, uh, enough to know that that's Leonard Cohen. Yes, <laughs> but. Um, can but I yeah, can so I tell I, you something? Can I just throw yeah. this out there? This has nothing to do with comic books, but we had at uh, at Our Lady of Walsingham, we had our fall festival this past weekend with families and face painting and lots of kids and stuff. And so, I, like, I walk over after mass, and they've got somebody playing music, like uh, like DJing music, and what they were playing at top volume as all these children are running around was. Uh, Leonard Cohen's democracy is coming to the USA, and I, I still can, I still cannot figure out how that ended up on the on the the uh, speakers for this particular well, that, crowd. Well, it's, that's powerful, <laughs> right? That's strange. Make so, of that so, what you will. So anyway, there's there's Red Rocket Seven. I don't know, Father Kyle, have you ever heard of that book, Red Rocket Seven? I actually Seven? have not. No. It's I, it's I'm... it's really uh, Mike Allred's lost masterpiece. Now apparently there's an album that goes along with it that Mike Allred has a band, and I tried to track down the music to hear it, uh -huh. um, but I was only able to find like one kind of track from Mike Allred. I'm not sure if it's connected with the story, but he also made a film. That, that sort of ties in with the graphic novel, an independent film. And I looked it up on Amazon. It's called um, Astro-esque. And Astro-esque is this uh, eschaton that, that's brought about. Um, but it's only available on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I'd, I'd love to check it out. The, and and the, other, the other book that I immediately thought of, this is a project that, Neil Gaiman and Alice Cooper worked on together. And it go. I don't know if, if, if either of you are Alice Cooper fans. I, I, I never really followed his music too Feed closely. Feed my Frankenstein. Yeah, of course I know that. And I know, you know, school's out for summer, you know. He's a but Christian, we, Alice Cooper. He's a Christian. He, he is. And, 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 you could, and, and there's Christian themes in this story. This story is called The Last Temptation, and it's written by Neil Gaiman. Uh, Alice Cooper approached him about collaborating on like a concept album that would that would go along with a comic book, and it's 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 perfect for for it's a hollow it's set during Halloween, and there's a young boy that is lured into uh, an old theater by a man that looks 
a lot like Alice Cooper dressed in these kind of old Victorian clothes. And it's a horror story. He sees all kinds of creepy things in the theater. I won't, I won't give away the whole story, but it's a simple story. It's not, I, I read it in one sitting today. Neil Gaiman said he wanted to tell like uh, just a simple kind of campfire story for the October country, as Ray Bradbury called it. So it's, it's, it's very appropriate for the Halloween season and great illustrations by Michael's Zuli. And it goes along with Alice Cooper's album, The Last Temptation. And Alice Cooper, his figure is like kind of a, a satanic kind of figure. He's trying to tempt this kid and he offers him a deal. Immortality in exchange for all his potential. He's like, well, you'll never have to die. You'll never have to go through the horrible ordeal of death. But, you know, you'll never, you'll never reach your potential in this world either. You'll, you'll just... You get to be uh, mediocre forever. Yeah, well, well, you'll be a part of this uh, troupe of actors, you know, and that'll, that'll you know, eternally sort of... So basically it's, you're it, Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, right? That's how um, on earth. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's an interesting story, and it's it's sort of there's a lot of biblical themes, you know. And, and I don't know how much of those originate with Neil Gaiman, how much of those originate with with Alice Cooper. But um, that that's that's another great example of sort of the intersection of of rock music and and comic books. There were Alice Cooper comics, Marvel comics did some back in the '70s, as well as Kiss. Oh and, yes, the Kiss comics yeah. are fan, and they every once in a while that pops up again. I, I five or six years ago, I remember they had uh, Kiss meets Vampirella, and they yeah, they did a yeah. whole they're thing. They're still regular. That. They're still regularly going on. I think IDW owns them now. Oh really? Well, I mean, yeah, they are. I mean, they're comic book characters, basically, right? Yeah. yeah they, well, they kind of are. I mean, yeah. even even in the and I think actually that's part of. Uh, what makes the sort of appealing crossover, you know, not so much in in some forms of music, right? Like you don't see a lot of like uh, comic book, uh, you know, well, maybe you do. Maybe I'm just ignorant of it. But like, you know, not a lot of like subtle, uh, subtle comic uh, explorations of like the themes in Beethoven or something. Um, but, <laughs> but you see a lot of like rock and roll and hip hop and I think, um, I think that has to do with the fact that comics lend themselves. I mean, there's a reason why I think superheroes took off in comic books. It's not that you can't do other types of things, as we've talked about many times on this show. Comics do all kinds of things. But there is a kind of quality to the larger-than-life, colorful uh, uh you know, alternative world of superheroes that makes comics a good medium for them. And I think both rock and roll and, and especially hip hop have that element to it, particularly in certain kinds of rock and roll and hip hop. Um, you know, one of the, one of the books that, that I certainly wanted to bring up is a book called hip hop family tree which they've done about four volumes of now. And it's really just a straight-up history of rap music, history of rap music and hip-hop culture. Um, the four volumes they've done 
really only go up through about the mid '80s. It's 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 very well done. They've done uh, they've released uh, several of uh, the pieces of it during uh, Free Comic Book Day over the years. So there are a lot of people who've kind of gotten into it that way. But like I said, it's it's you know it's kind of a, it's just a straight up history lesson. And yet it's not boring, and it, it seems to lend itself really well to comics. And I think that's because, like, you look at these guys and uh, the, the personas of people like Grandmaster Flash, and uh, eventually, you know, you get to figures like Dr. Dre and so forth, and they are kind of superheroes. They are kind of comic book characters. Um, They're loud and outrageous exactly, and in your face. Exactly, exactly. Um, I, I feel like, you know, as you were talking about this, I was thinking earlier today, you know, comics is kind of, in as far as I can tell, and I'm sure there, there's more ways to look at it than I have, but there's like three ways in which comics have, have tackled music. And I think your examples, Father Matt, kind of hit on two of them. Um, and so one of them is this sort of history of, uh, history of the music, right? And so we get that with Hip Hop Family Tree. We get that a little bit with the um, Mike Allred book that you were talking about. Yeah, um, as Red well. Rocket 7. And uh, just kind of, you know, going through another. So there was a book a couple of years ago called The Fifth Beatle that basically just told the story yeah. of Brian Epstein. And so, like, you know, so you, you'll get stuff like that every once in a while. <laughs> every time I mention one of these books, Father Matt holds it up. He's got, he's got them all. He's got the whole catalog. Um, uh, another kind uh, that you that you also mentioned, uh, Father Matt, is the sort of attempt at the crossover between the two, right? And so you were mentioning uh, Mike Allred's band having an album or something related to the comic, uh, Alice Cooper having an album related to the comic, and there have been a number of these. There was one... A couple of years ago by a Canadian pop singer named Lights that was called Skin and Earth and it was the same basic idea it was like she made an album and then you know kind of created a comic book um, except I think she actually drew it um, oh. wrote it drew it created music intersected the two and so the idea was that you were supposed to like stop at certain points and listen to the song and then oh, wow. you know okay. And so it was really that kind of, you know, it almost made me think of uh, uh, when we were when we were kids, um, and you would get the 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 either the record or the tape with the with the book with the book, yeah, yeah, and they'd make a sound when it was time to turn the page. <laughs> uh-huh. So there's that kind of integrated stuff, and then there is just the straight up effort to incorporate musical characters into what is otherwise not necessarily a music-focused world. You know, I think that's probably the thing that happens the most often, sometimes in really direct ways. Um, I think, for instance, of the New 52 uh, Black Canary comic that was written by Cameron Stewart and drawn really beautifully by, by Annie Wu, where she was a rock star. And so you'd get them like she's going on tour and then there'd be like musical interludes. And the, you, you can always tell when they're singing something, even though there's no melody, because they change the lettering, you know, and they make it real bold and, and it kind of stands out. And um, But it wasn't a book about music, really, even though this that music piece of it was uh-huh. very important to the identity of the character. Uh, you could say something similar about a character 
like Dazzler in in Marvel comics, or like mm. uh, or like the Music Meister, <laughs> or or, um, or Spider Gwen. Have you have you read or Spider Gwen? That, that's actually that's another great example. He's in a um, band called the 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 Mary Janes. Yes. Do you read Spider Gwen, Kyle? Yeah, I've read some of it. I don't read it consistently. Yes. Yes. I, so I think that's a great example. I would say personally, the best example of this of of what I'm talking about is uh Josie and the Pussycats. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. of you course. Know? I mean that that's just the whole thing is this band doing its thing and yet the music is almost like you just you can almost imagine whatever music you want. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because really it's a story of this great band going out and doing their thing. Unless you right. watch the cartoons, then you've got the songs oh, stuck well, in your yeah. head. Oh, well, yeah. Then you can, and you could also read the Gem and the Holograms uh, comic. If yeah, you that's want right. To. Yeah. That's right. So. Th- and that is a comic book. Back when I, when I, yeah. when when I take my daughter to the comic store, she browses the rack and she's picked up Gem a few times with great interest. Mm-hmm. She's Spider Gwen for Halloween. Nice. Uh, How cute. Um, nice. We're the Spider Verse. I, you know, I, oh, I'm yeah. the I'm the old out of shape Peter Parker, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and 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 of course Isaac is Miles. He's got to be Miles. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's good. I think there's one more uh, to what you're talking about, and um, that is there are some musical artists who have transferred things that they've done into comic book form, and I'm thinking in particular of Neil Young uh, about. 2003 he did a a concept album called greendale and um and later the album it told a story of a um a sort of hippie hippie family that was struggling with the changing times and uh they had a a druggy grandson nephew character in there and uh, there were some elements of the devil at work um, so there were some, some quasi-Christian themes at work in the story. But ultimately, um, Neil Young had that story uh, done up as a graphic novel through DC's Vertigo line. And um, I don't know how many other artists have done things like that, but, you know, that's that's kind of a fourth. Um, yeah, well, it's similar to, to like, the uh, collaboration of Neil Gaiman and, and the, the concept album that, that, that Alice Cooper did. There, there, there are a few artists that work in both idioms. Like, um, well, I mean, you have the comic book artists that have like bands, you know, like Alan Moore apparently has a as a popular local band in Manchester, wherever he's from. Oh my god! And he's even done. I'm just, I'm just trying to imagine what that's like. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty weird. Does he have a song that's like a million minutes long for no particular? Yeah, reason? some, some. It, well, it's like it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's strange. Yeah, there you go. And he, they've even taken some of the lyrics and illustrated them as books. Um, and I can't think of the names of them. But, but G- Gerard Way, yeah. who is the the um, artist uh, from the band My Chemical Romance. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not, I'm not really familiar with his his music, but he's written some great comics. He's cre- he created the Umbrella Academy. Oh and, yeah, that's a yeah, good example. And he, he's and he did Doom Patrol. He's yeah. still doing Doom Patrol and Cave Carson, Carson. both which, of which were were uh, two recommendations I offered. He's a great comic book writer as well as uh, 
as a pretty accomplished pop star. Boy, we so. should do a show on the Umbrella Academy, especially now with that with the Netflix series. That would be good. I, I, I've, ne- I've never read the book. Yeah, I, I've I I've either. read uh, little pieces of it. Um, I've not read the whole thing through, but I would love to do that. And and I de- and I did watch the whole first season of the show. So mm. something so maybe, maybe we'll come back to that. Um, you, you find kind of going off what you were saying, Father Matt. I mean, you find a lot of musicians are comic book fans, yeah. um, whether they ever get involved specifically in the comic book medium or not. I mean, Jerry Garcia was a huge comic book collector, and apparently, when he died, you know, had this massive collection. Is that right? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was really heavy into like sci-fi comics in particular. I'm a huge fan of the band The Cure, (laughs) and uh, Robert Smith is also another big uh, comic book guy, and recently they did a whole series of um, covers for Cure songs, like comic book covers for Cure songs, uh, as kind of a link to his interest in in comics. A lot of cool stuff like that. There's been a lot of crossover the other way, too. I mean, I think you're you're beginning to touch on that. Not just artists who are uh, musicians who are comic book fans, but who bring the comic books into their music as well. You know, we could make a whole playlist, I think, of songs about Superman. You know, I mean, there's Mm -hmm. been some great pop songs about Superman. Probably, mm-hmm. probably at the top of the list would, would be I don't know I, I think in response to the death of Superman the um, Our Lady Peace. Our do, you what? That, do you know that song Superman's Dead by Our Lady Peace? No, I don't oh, know. That's that a great one. song. I was thinking of Superman's song by um, you know Superman never made any money saving the world from Solomon Grundy. You know that song? song. Oh my gosh, it's the best. Here, hold on. (laughs) Superman's song. (laughs) It's seriously probably the best comic book song ever. It's the Chanel's, I believe. No, it's um, (laughs) Pat Boone. Pat Boone. (laughs) It's oh, it's the Crash Test Dummies. Oh. And it came out in response to um, the death of Superman. Uh, yeah, when, no, and, you know, and Our Lady Peace's song is is around that same time period. It's like mid to late mid to late '90s. So I guess it might be a little later than Crash Test Dummies. I'll have to but, check that one out because this yeah. is like a eulogy to Superman. And then what's, um, what's that? There was a band that that, that that had Kryptonite in the name of their album from that same pocket full of Kryptonite was the oh, name. Oh, that was Spin album. Doctors. Yeah, yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Olsen yeah. Blues. They were. It was the. Uh, it was the subtitle of the song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, there, and I mean, there was you know Donovan, uh, you know Sunshine Superman. Superman and Green well, Lantern ain't got nothing on me. And <laughs> and you know, I mean, one of the things that, that that points to as well, absolutely iconic songs that we associate with comic book characters, mostly because of the way that comic book characters have have been connected to music in other mediums, right? And so you've got like the, the, the 60s Batman theme, for instance, uh-huh. which anybody 
can recognize like it's oh there's it's Batman you na 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 Batman like they know they know it you know um, <laughs> the Spider Man theme song I've, right exactly um, yeah. and then that's what that's what made me Covered think of that by the, the Ramones by the Ramones right we were just yeah. uh, uh, there's a ukulele uh, enthusiast group around here and we were trying to learn how to play that on the ukulele the other week. And the, the Who covered the Batman theme. Mm-hmm. They did, yep. Um, I, I'm also thinking, too, you know, um, some like in the films, um, depending on what film you're talking about, and this is something I feel like has kind of gotten lost. As much as I love the sort of Marvel um, cinematic universe, um, I, don't, I don't have the same resonance to music with that as I do with something like the the score from the original Superman films, right? Like that's right. Well, that's just so iconic. We had uh, the the band at the at the high school um, for homecoming this year. They they did a medley of uh, superhero like music, and when they started to play that that theme from Super, like I almost teared up. <laughs> Bum, yeah, bum, yeah, but they bum. did they did the whole thing like they led into it yeah. with that that whole kind of oh, subtle intro, piece, and man. it's you know it's it, it's just so um, it's so rich, and then you know even even other things that that the aren't Batman, the Batman movies too they had a great score. Well, the first movie you've got that whole Prince album, that and you got <laughs> the Prince stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's. Let's ask a, a little bit more of a general question here. What is the power of music? It depends what kind of music you're 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 listening to, but I think I think part of the reason why we react so strongly to music is is um, because music is in sync with our bodies, with with our heartbeat, with the pumping of blood in our veins. It's connected with you know the world around us, nature. It kind of organizes it in a comprehensible way. You know whether it's, it's 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 rock and roll, or it's classical music, or it's you know Anglican chant. It it has the power to bring you to a different place. You know, someone puts on music, and it changes the atmosphere. It 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 has the power to transport us to different places to connect us with the rhythms of, of creation, to lift our hearts to God, to move us to feel something, even if it's something primal. It, it takes us to different places. I don't, I don't know really uh, how else to put it. Yeah, I, it that's, that's pretty well said. Um, it kind of reminds me of a quote from Luther. Luther actually said that next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. Um, that you know that it was the next best thing to the gospel as it were um, because it does seem to have some sort of of power I mean it's got an emotional content to it that um, that does something to us for good or ill right music can work negatively on us and and it can work positively on us Luther Vandross is deep I mean Luther Vandross that's right you can take a message and, and um, you put it to rhyme, you put it to meter, you give it a beat. It's dangerous, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, like it's dangerous. Like it was like like rapping, you know, 
rapping, it, you know, it's it, 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 it's like a form of rhetoric. Um, but because it's got this beat and it's got this hook, and you know, it 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 you know, so it it, it has you know, kind of political connotations too. Because um, I mean, you take a message and you put it to the right beat. And you, I mean, you could start a revolution, you know. Um, yes, Father it, Jonathan. Right, bring right. Bring it down for us. <laughs> and I, I think that's why, you know, we, I think it's why it's important that we not only preach the gospel, but we also sing it. Because, you know, I I, I can say one thing in my sermon, and, th- and then we'll sing it. And, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I get it now, you know. Yeah. I really get yeah. it now. I feel it. Well, and this is um, why I think we we've had such, um, you know, I mean, you, uh, I think of that quote that that's attributed to Augustine sometimes, and I I never looked this up, so I don't know whether it's actually Augustine or just attributed to is, him. But that, that I know what you're going to say. That line <laughs> when you sing, you pray twice. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, it's I mean it's it's a little a uh, little bit hokey sounding, but there there is some truth to that. I think it is powerful, and I think that's also why, you know, uh, if you take away the cultural hot-button issues that we often argue about in the church, what's the biggest thing that we argue about besides that? And it's been these kind of worship wars over uh, how we do church and what kind of music is appropriate uh, to play in church. And, and, you know, um, because it's so so primal to— uh, how these things get into our system, you know, get into our bodies almost. And so, like, people get very attached, for instance, to the music of their childhood experiences of God. Whether that music is good, bad, or otherwise is is a whole different question. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's there, right? It's like in your bones, um, this is where I found God. This is what God sounds like and feels like to me. And so, you know, if you challenge that one direction or the other, whether you're saying, oh, we should do more uh, modern music, and somebody says, no, you shouldn't, or or vice versa, oh, we should do more traditional music, and somebody says, no, you shouldn't, often the reaction has less to do with a sober, uh, careful judgment about uh you know the the history of music and worship and how it works and so forth it has much more to do i think much more often with just this this was the moment when i met god it had this music to it and oh. so that on some level that i cannot access with my brain that affects me and yeah. and, and and then it's threatened if you if you say you're going to take that away it threatens not just my aesthetic it threatens my relationship with god oh oh, absolutely i mean there's music like i i I mean if we sing a certain hymn Mm -hmm. i will immediately be transported to um you know my childhood at the methodist camp meeting and all you know music has that nostalgia i put on a record in my car and I could remember where I was when I first heard it. I could remember when, when I went to the wall 
at the mall and I bought the record. You know, I could remember being 13 and how it felt like to hear that music, you know, and it just music is so saturated with different parts of our life. Um, so I, I, I really I, I think it's, it's, it's so it's so personal with that. And I think you definitely have a point. Um, certain music is like people build their identity around music. We wear like a T-shirt with our favorite band when we're a teenager. And it's like this, you know, I'm saying something about my personality. And I think especially when we're an you know, adolescent, we're trying to build our identity. Um, and it's natural to want to bring something of our personality into, uh, into our worship of God. I don't have anything against contemporary Christian music. Uh, I, I, you know, I've been very moved by it on, on, uh, throughout my development as a Christian. But um, there is also something unique that might not be as immediately accessible to people about um, you know the traditional music of, of the church. If I if I if you put on a pop song, I'm into like I could get into it. I can know if I like it right away. The with with liturgical music, with sacred music, you don't just put it on. I mean, you might be you might put it on and be like, oh, Bach is pretty, yeah. But um, <laughs> you need to worship with it for a while. This kind of music before you could understand it, before you build uh, a history of association with it. Um, yeah. and, and, and we don't really like with choral music. I mean, there's there's less and less places in our culture where you can even experience that anymore besides church, you know, yeah. um, and, and, and for a lot of people, they walk into a church and they hear this music that they don't really have a frame of reference for. And it's a, it's a pity because once once you go to Evensong, and, 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 and like all of a sudden it's beauties open up to you and, and you know, and, and it, it just it, it recommends itself in, in a powerful way. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I love hip hop. I love folk music. I love blues and I love choral music. I love sacred music, you know, but now I have this whole world of associations with it. I, you know, I, you have to give it a chance. It's the same thing with jazz. I didn't put on Charlie Parker and just jive with it immediately. You, it's like you got to build a taste for jazz and, and understand it. And you know what I'm saying? It's not like mm -hmm. it's 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 not cotton candy. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not. Right. You, uh, you have to you have to you have to live with it for a while. You, you know, it's it's interesting as you're you're talking about this. I've been thinking about this lately because, um, forgive me, because I'm going to get a little bit into the Catholic weeds here. Um, but I think that this this perhaps has some application in in other liturgical uh, uh, churches or church settings as well. Music in the liturgy in the Catholic Mass. Well, l l let me let's let me just say this about it. So. Um, you know, over the last 30 or 40 years, especially, um, it has become a lot more kind of reliant on uh, congregational uh, songs. I don't even want to really say hymns. I mean, there are hymns, 
but it's you know much more so than than the historic liturgy ever was before. Historically, it was the liturgy itself that was sung. And what's interesting about that is people often blame this. Uh, a lot of uh, Catholics who 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 get upset about this will blame it on Vatican II, except. Uh, if you go back and actually read the documents of Vatican II, there's, of course, um, one of the big four uh, constitutions of Bat- Vatican II is Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is a, a big constitution on the liturgy itself. But one of the smaller documents, uh, shorter documents, very, very quick read, is called uh, Musica Sacra. And it is specifically about the use of music in worship. So this is right, like this is a big deal, conciliar document. Okay, this is like uh, next to uh, you know uh, ex cathedra statements of the Pope. Like this is like a pretty high ranking thing to have a document that comes from a council. Um, so you'd think we would take this very seriously, um, but then you read Musica Sacra and you go, okay. How does this fit with the way we do music in Mass today? And the answer is, it doesn't at all. Uh, Musica Sacra uh, insists on different rankings for how you use music in worship. The top ranking is given to to chant, specifically to Gregorian chant. Um, I mean, almost nobody does Gregorian chant, right? I mean, very very few places do. Um, It's only several tiers down that you ever get to congregational hymns or songs. Similarly, um, when they talk about, when that document talks about what parts of the liturgy should you sing, uh, they set it up in tiers. And so what the document basically says is there's three tiers, and if you're going to do a tier, you got to do everything in the tier, right? So you do everything in the first tier, and then if you want to make it more musical, then you can do everything in the second tier as well. And if you want to make it super musical, then you do all three tiers, okay? The first tier is stuff like the introduction. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? Which nobody does. Like, unless you're going to, like, super solemn mass at, you know, uh, the major cathedral of, uh, I don't know, Rome, I guess. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you, You never hear that, right? Um, it's it's all of these other parts. They they'll say, um, uh, you know, what else are you supposed to sing? Well, you sing uh, the Sturgeon Corda. Yeah, but not even just that. Like um, uh, in that same like first tier is like um, the the collect, and yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's the stuff that we never sing. It's only in the second tier that you get the things that we do tend to sing, which is like the Gloria. The um, Sanctus, Sanctus, um, you know, uh, uh, stuff, Agnus Dei, stuff like that. That stuff starts showing mm-hmm. up in the second tier. Uh, first tier, by the way, also includes the Our Father. Never gets sung. We sing the Our Father every yeah. once in a while. You find a place that sings the Our Father, but um, yeah. but much much rarer than hearing the Gloria be sung, right? We we um, sing a great deal of our liturgy, but you well, know, yeah, well, and I think gorgeous. I think right, right. You're, well, and I think. My point that I'm trying to get to in this very ridiculously roundabout way is I think the reason why the church, at least at the time of Vatican II, very strongly insisted the parts that must be sung in the liturgy, if you're going to sing anything, 
are these parts that, that are connective tissue of the liturgy itself rather than parts that you can kind of excise and think of as their own little song, right? So like the Gloria is good to sing, but the problem with just singing the Gloria is then it becomes like its own little song. And even like, um, you know, I remember this from the 1979 prayer book that you could actually substitute uh, pieces of music or songs that were sort of Gloria-like, right? Yeah, um, some, some hymn of praise. Right, because that's what it's become. It's become plug-and-play. And that's actually the problem with, like, the congregational songs, more than the style. The style is a whole different question, and we kind of talk about taste and, you know, what wording is used and so forth, and that's great. But the bigger issue is that it's become... Um, uh, a thing where we plop in performance pieces in the middle of what is otherwise not a musical event. Whereas, if you sing the liturgy week after week, and you're singing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you're singing these other uh, uh, pieces of it, you're even hearing the, the, um, the readings themselves sung. What is that doing? It's not doing the same thing that pop music does. No. It's not stimulating the, you know, entertainment center of the brain. It's stimulating a whole different part of you that takes that stuff in on a different level so that it becomes a part of you over time. Doesn't happen the first time. It's not super, you know, that's why people don't like it because they're like, well, it's not super accessible. The first time I walk in the room, I don't immediately feel like, I'm at home there. No, right. because you have to do it over and over again. But the virtue of it is that if you do it over and over again, it will become a part of you in a way that it never will if all you have is like saccharine pop songs that are spread throughout. Father Kyle, last word. I don't know. My brain is done. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like us to sing you a lullaby? I think it's about that time. Okay. Um, so, um, there is more that can be said, probably not by Father Kyle, but by, maybe by some of you all. There's more to be said on the topic of music and comics. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, please connect with us on social media. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash godandcomics, or you can tweet at us at godandcomics. But for right now, we will move on to our final segment, This or That. This or that, this or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man? This or that. Spider-Man or Superman? This or that. Boxes or briefs? This or that. DVD or VHS? This or that. Dungeons or Dragons? This and that. Moses or Elijah? This or that. This or that, this or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Huh? What you got, Father Matt? Okay, this one is going to be for Father Kyle. Uh, Father Kyle, Alice Cooper or Kiss? Ah, I'm going to say, that's a tough call, actually. I'm going to go with Kiss. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know what? It's funny. I mean, growing up in the, in the late 70s, um, Kiss were a really big thing. And were I, you in the Kiss Army? I, no, actually, I wasn't. I remember them. I remember like the dolls, the Mego dolls, and my cousins had those. And 
Um, and I remember them, the comics, the Marvel comics being around. Which, which were uh, printed with their own blood. So they Did you think. know that? <laughs> extracted, extracted by a nurse. Yeah. You know, under proper medical conditions. But they mixed their blood in with the ink to publish those comic books. Wow. Yeah, that that's that's some crazy some stuff. Gory, yeah, some gory stuff there. But now I've actually come to really appreciate their music in the last couple of years. I decided like a year or so ago that I wanted to go through and listen to all their albums and I'm I'm impressed. The at least the early <laughs> stuff. So I'm in the Kiss Army now. We'll say that. Okay, okay. Um, Father Jonathan, rice cake or tofu? <laughs> uh, tofu. Because you really? can, well, you can put tofu in stuff. Tofu becomes interesting depending on how you cook with it. Rice cake does not ever actually become interesting. It's always going to be rice cake. It's sort of like soy like green, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually, a uh, few people know this, but tofu is actually made with uh, blood from Kiss. I don't know if you've oh, heard of that. Oh, wow, no. okay. Yeah. They, oh. um, Gene Simmons is 99% bean curd. Ah, interesting, interesting. <laughs> um, Father Kyle, Rainbow Dash or Twilight Sparkle? Wow, it's been a while since I've watched ponies. My daughter's completely kicked them. Uh, that's child stuff for her now. But oh, my daughter loves the ponies. Treasure that. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, you know, I kind of like Rainbow Dash better. I'll go with Rainbow Dash. She's the more adventurous one. Um, but she's not royalty. No, she's not. That's okay. <laughs> I'm a blue-collar man. I got to stick up for the non-royalty folks. Okay. Father uh, Jonathan? Charles Spurgeon or Kanye West? <laughs> I, I got to go with Kanye West, I suppose, out of those King. options. Really? I mean, I've, I, you know, as far as I know, Charles Spurgeon's never been able to throw down. So. <laughs> Have you heard the new Kanye album? I've heard maybe about half of it. Wow, it's, it's something. Um, <laughs> that says it all. I, you know, I, I mean, I, nah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hate on Kanye. You know, like he's he's trying to do something good. I think that's a that's a lovely thing. Um, you know, and and what else is he gonna do but try and use his platform to do that? I mean, you can't like not just suddenly not be famous uh that's who he is and that's what he's trying to do and that's that's great i i kind of listen to it I, I i can't say that that musically it did a whole lot for me but maybe the maybe the back half of it will will be different but i do wonder about the way in which everybody gets so excited whenever somebody you know like this has this their moment of conversion i mean i think it's great for him you know i'm not trying to knock him i'm not trying to say that it's not genuine I'm just saying, like, the rest of us just need to calm down, you know? 
Like, well, is it really a moment? I mean, like, didn't he have a song about Jesus on his first record? He did, and and honestly, Jesus Walks, I think, is a better, it's better song than anything, than anything on the, anything new, on the record. new record. That's that's my opinion. Yeah. But yeah, um, uh, Father Father Kyle, um, the Rolling Stones or the Who? Ooh, tough call. Another one. Um, at this particular moment, I'm going to say the Who. Um, I. That's that's a tough one, but I actually love the Who, and I in particular really like Pete Townsend's songs writing. So, yeah, I'm gonna go with the Who. Looking forward to the Who's new album in in December too. A new oh really a new yeah. Who record? Yep. Interesting. It's got Batman and Robin on the cover. Does it really? Yeah. Hey, okay, he, here here's here's one for Father uh, Father Jonathan. Flag Day or President's Day? Uh, President's Day because we get off from school. When is Flag Day? Flag Day is in <laughs> June, and, and we, by the time it by the time Flag Day rolls around here, we've been out of school for like three weeks. Yeah, President's Day is my birthday too. Usually, oh. yeah, it's because you're very president. You're very presidential, Father Matt. <laughs> Apparently, I think that's it. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna be it for us. Uh, be sure to go to www.godandcomics.com to listen to the show again. Uh, share it on social media if you liked it. Um, you know, whatever your social media of choice is. Um, maybe it's uh, you know, maybe it's uh, WhatsApp. Maybe it's uh, Snapchat. Maybe it's uh, you know, maybe you've got like parchment and pen and you just want to like draw a picture of uh, God and comics and and give it to people and that's cool too uh, whatever you'd like um, we are also subscribable through iTunes and we would love you forever if you gave us a rating or a review there it is friends the fastest way for our audience to grow the fastest way for people to find out about the show so please 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 uh, give us a rating and a review um, unless you hate us, uh, in which case, um, send your angry mail to Father Matt. Our theme music <laughs> is by Father Paul Wheatley, who writes the songs that make the whole world sing in a creepy monotone that makes everyone a little nervous. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. And we'll see you.